I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast set in a musical utopia called Pepperland, which is attacked by angry, music-hating blue creatures who imprison its guardian rock band. I, the Lord Mayor of Pepperland, sent Danny Moran to Liverpool, where he must find the city's cheeky, blokish superstars and ask them to help defeat the blue meanies using nothing but their wits and a selection of their hits. Oh, awesome. <laughs> wait, sorry, wait a minute. Huh? Sorry, owing to the amount of LSD I took a minute ago, I've confused our podcast with the animated Beatles adventure Yellow Submarine. This podcast is set in Pepperland, but all we do there is talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me is the aging cartoon sailor, Danny Moran. <laughs> Hello! On this episode, we tackle the hit animation Inside Out and the re-release of Cult Odyssey Performance. Both films deal with ideas of identity, emotional states, and the subconscious. One of the films is a hilarious and moving and endlessly inventive work of genius. The other contains Mick Jagger saying lines like, Do you think I should wash my hair? Stay tuned to find out which is which! Plus, we discuss the potential comedy remake of Shaft, the latest project from Richard Linklater, and try to work out which actor has the finest filmography. All of which leaves just enough time for me to read the opening chapter from a book of sex tips for men entitled The Female Orgasm, Blates Untrue, in a segment so informative it must surely make the final cut. Is that a real thing? No. <laughs> well done, Danny. <laughs> you ruined sex tips! It's <laughs> an inside out reference. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. So we've got many correspondences to get through. A bit of a backlog, in fact. Uh, Jake Hoskins wrote in, I mean, almost two weeks ago. That's how fucking popular we are. Sorry, Jake. Sorry it's taking so long to get to you. Uh, he wrote the following. Dear Sam and Danny, another one to stick on the double bill pile, this time with an incredibly tenuous link. How about Interstellar and a streetcar named Desire? 
Stella, Stella, because Stella is the uh, line and the character from that. Streetcar name design. <laughs> Streetcar name design. <laughs> I like that emphasis you <laughs> put on you. it. Maybe we should, in case people aren't listening to Film Chat episode 35, that's a reference to having a discussion about uh, movie double bills, which are totally inappropriate in content, but title-wise go together. Yeah. And Jake's going, you know, uh, one level further. Yes, sir. Like by, Charlie Kaufman making role. reference to one of the lines in A Streetcar Named Desire. Precisely. Interstellar! <laughs> he says, Also, if no one has made a pornographic version of the former called Into Stellar, then I, for one, am ashamed of the lack of imagination of pornographers today. And finally, is there anything good on Netflix at the moment that I won't have seen? Many thanks, Jake. Well, I think Christopher Nolan's next project is actually a pornographic remake yeah. of Interstellar with that title, Jake. Same cast. Same cast, and it's costing the same amount. <laughs> but instead of using all that money to uh, create wormholes and uh, alien worlds and stuff like that, it'll just go on good, you know, sex. Which costs a lot. It just costs a lot to get good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as for Netflix, uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is on Netflix. I think you should check that out. Um, season two of Bojack Horseman's recently come out on Netflix. I hear that's pretty good. Um, Network is on Netflix. That's is really it on good. Netflix, Danny? Or yeah. Were you just making shit up and network sounds like Netflix? <laughs> no, because I watched it on Netflix the other day. Okay. It okay. might be on American Netflix, but just change your IP address. Okay. I mean, that might be illegal, but just do it. Just do it. <laughs> just, <laughs> just do, do it. crime. Just do a bit of crime. Just do crime. Network's worth it. I hope that answers your question, Jake. Thank you. Next time you ride in, you're going to get a very prompt readout. It won't take us as long. Yes. So, Danny... Just like last time, you've sparked off a fascinating, long discussion. You've got all of our fans talking. When I post something, it's just a total, like, <laughs> tumbleweed scenario. Uh, and when you do, they love it. I'm what sick of I it. Say? What can I say? But congratulations. I respect you. Thank you. So um, this time you're posting about actors who have great filmographies, who've been yes. in a lot of uh, great movies, but, you know, however you define well, great. Yeah, well, uh, the way this originated is because... In Inside Out, uh, Flea, the bassist from Red Hot Chili Peppers, has a small voice role in it. And he's also in Fargo, uh, not Fargo, he's also in uh, The Big Lebowski. Ah. And he's got a small role in Back to Future Part 2 and 3. And I was like, wait a second, is Flea of the greatest filmography of all time? <laughs> so, looks him up, and he's made a bunch of uh, random movies. But then I was thinking about uh, how actors who are famous, like A-listers, like how many legitimately great films have they done? And, like, Meryl Streep, every year she's nominated for something. But how many great Meryl Streep movies are there? Yeah. Like there's Manhattan? Of, there's some great Meryl Streep performances. Yeah. Like, like, she was good as Margaret Thatcher, but I wouldn't describe The Iron Lady as a great film. Yeah. Adaptation? Yeah. Manhattan? Maybe The Deer Hunter, if you're in a, like, partic- if you're in the mood for it. It's, like, a good movie. But, you know, she's made, like, a ton of movies. That's, like, free. What's, that's a poor hit rate, I would say. <laughs> what about It's Complicated, Danny? It's Complicated. So that's a Stone Cold classic, oh, Sorry, yeah, four, four. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I looked on IMDb, and the actor who's been in the most films in the top 250 is John Ratzenberger, because he is in every Pixar movie. That's interesting. So, I mean, there's been 15 Pixar movies. Take out Cars, Bugs Life, and uh, Monsters University. And what's that? There's loads left. Yeah, loads of great movies. Oh, mate, Brave's debatable. Is that a great movie? It's pretty good. I really liked Brave. I'd, I would have it in there with the others. It's not as, like, um, conceptually exciting but it's a great fairy tale. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so this sparked the whole thing. People suggesting stuff. Um, Joe McCormick had a good one with Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson was a good suggestion because like, I think some people were going for just actors who had been in an absolute ton of movies. 
And Samuel Jackson makes about three films a year or something ridiculous like that. I mean, I don't know how many he's been in. Yeah, Joe McCormick's just Samuel Jackson and Callum went for Michael Caine, both of which I think will do anything. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah. They, and, um, yeah. I mean, didn't Michael Caine retire about five years ago and he's made like six films since then? Yeah, he's, they've he's, all he's, grossed a billion. He's more, he's more <laughs> prolific than he's ever been. Joe Stumman on something where it's like, if you have an actor who just often works with a director who's good, just have more good movies. Yeah. So De Niro, because of all his Scorsese collaborations, like racks them up, even though he hasn't made anything good in like 20 years. And then our favourite contributor, Mr. Plummer, Richard Plummer. <laughs> yeah, just keep calling him Mr. Mr. Plummer. Our old teacher. Suggested um, Tashiro Mifune, who has made 16 films of Akira Kurosawa. I haven't seen all of them, but I presume they're all amazing. Yeah. So he's probably well, the one. all of the Mifune Kurosawa movies I've seen have been amazing. So, And he also suggests Klaus Kinski, who's obviously worked with Werner Herzog a couple of times. I don't know if they've worked Five with her times. ten times. Five times, right. Um, I don't know outside that. Outside that, we don't know. Who is Yves Mont- Montand? I don't know. Mortal. Is it just some Richard? Just some Richard. It's trying to like he, he wanted to art a... out RTS, right? He yeah. wanted to be more arty. <laughs> Fuck this guy! We don't know who that is. Arty bullshit. And Max von Sydow is just like an old man. He's been about a million films as he well. He was in so. a, loads of Bergman movies. Yeah. So, so there you go. So loads of shit films. <laughs> <laughs> Bergman. How dare you, Danny? Tedious as fuck. I wish all, this, seal. all the cineasts <laughs> listening to this will be horrified that you say that. Steph Mildener, who um, I encourage to explain how to pronounce his surname so I can get that correct, um, suggested Brad Pitt, who's been in a lot of great movies, including, uh, according to Steph, Fight Club 7, True Romance, The Assassination of Jesse James. I don't think he's quite getting up there. Yeah. I wouldn't say 7 was a great film, to be honest with you. Me neither. I don't really get it. Um, and he also goes on to suggest actors who will be in that many great films in the future, which is an interesting other discussion. Right. And he suggests uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Jennifer Lawrence, Amy Adams, um, and maybe even Anna Kendrick and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Why, why Anna Kendrick? Just because they're good actors. Just because they're good? They do interesting roles or something? Maybe if, if there's like I eight think... more great pitch-perfect films? Yeah. Joe McCormick made a good point in saying... Which actors have the most great movies with different directors? Meaning, like, who... Who is really good at picking the best scripts. Yeah. yeah. Which maybe we'll confirm this discussion over the week and come back to it. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I'd say, like, Fazbender at the moment. And mm. um, I don't know how to pronounce the surname, but Mio waskowska Kwa. Yeah. Um, What's it, the, what, Alice from... Alice, uh, yeah. But that's like, that's like her one commercial movie. And then since then, she's like... Done a lot of interesting Done, stuff. She's in the new Gomorrah Dottor movie. It's like in a Cronenberg movie. And yeah, a she's, in, movie. she's in Lawless and... Um, yeah, and a John Hillcott movie. And what was that weird Korean horror film? Oh, thing? yeah, the uh, Stoker. Stoker, yeah. But it's like, I look at the directors she chooses, and I'm like, Mia. Good work, Mia. Good work, Mia. Well done, Mia. The same with Fazbend. He always makes interesting decisions. Yeah, I'd say Gosling has made a lot of interesting decisions as well, though. I don't know if he's... like They're all great films. Yeah. But yeah, okay. To be continued. To be continued. In an even more fascinating discussion in Film Chat episode 38. <laughs> Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. So our first item of news concerns a film which has apparently been in development since 2004, but which I hadn't heard of until I read this particular news story. Were you familiar with it, Danny? Mm, Not at all. It's called Bob the Musical, which, according to Empire Online, has been one of the toughest nuts to crack for Disney. Um, 
it's got an interesting uh, premise. It's about a guy who suffers a head injury and as a result starts to hear people's inner songs bursting out around him. So he sort of, I guess he wanders around in his own personal musical um, and it drives him nuts. Yeah. So that's a, it's a, it's an interesting idea. Um, it's a fun premise. And they have brought on board the director of the artist, Michel Hazanovicius, um, and Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords fame, who also did the songs for The Muppet and The Muppet 2. Those are, those are good choices. And uh, the script is being written by Michael Chabon. Oh, right. Which is also Chabon. very cool. Yeah, Michael the Chabon. novelist. Yeah, the novelist. He wrote, um, I've only read one of his novels, but it was very good. It had a sort of long, complex name that I'm going to struggle to He wrote Wonder Boys as well, which is a good movie. Oh, yeah? I've seen that. <laughs> and they are hoping to uh, lure Tom Cruise to star in it, which is not necessarily the first person you think of when you've got your kind of um, weird meta-musical idea. Yeah. I mean, he was in that Rock of, a- Rock of Ages thing, right? Did oh, yeah, he was in that, yeah. Has he got the pipes? Can he sing? He must be able to hold a tune, right, if he's... I guess. I guess he's Tom Cruise. Isn't he anything, just right? so intense that he can just sing? You know what I yeah. mean? He's, it, he, will himself. he just will yeah. himself to be good at singing. The power of his own self-belief will just propel uh, melodies out of his lungs. That's, that's a cool, like, interesting yeah, sounds, original concept. And, and there's a talented team working on it. The concept sounds just a bit like um, actually making a, de- a device of how musicals work anyway. Right, Because exactly. in musicals, people just sing about what they're thinking all you the time. You can definitely see where that, anyway, idea, where that so, idea came from. As, yeah. Like that if people just burst into song in, a, in your daily life, you, you'd be a bit you know, yeah. nonplussed by it. So it's like interrogating the concept of a musical. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It sounds a little bit like some kind of stranger than fiction type idea, you know, yeah. where it's like a movie about a form of fiction in which people are aware of it. But yeah, I think any Brett McKenzie's brilliant. Like all the Muppet songs are amazing. All the Fly the Concord songs are great. Yeah, uh, so talented any, and yeah, hilarious more, man. More comedy it songs. Sound, it sounds like the funny concept with which he could do a lot. So look forward to hearing I'm more about that one. So uh, Richard Linklater. Everybody's keen to see what he's doing next after he made the greatest film ever last year. Yeah. Uh, not that the Academy appreciated it. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> Birdman. 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 Yeah. Third man, more like. I think. I think when he opened up the envelope, it just said the letter B, and then it was like uh, in two syllables. Can't quite remember how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the card, and they just had to make it up, and he said the wrong one. That's what I think happened. You're probably right. Anyway, um, he is very close to signing on to direct a film called The Rosie Project, which has got Jennifer Lawrence attached and has uh, was formerly courted by Phil Lord and Chris Miller to direct, but they've gone off to make this Han Solo movie. And it is based really? It on... said that about Bob the Musical as well. They're, they're just they're like... just trying to get uh, Lord and Miller onto everything. Yeah, they're just... Fingers are in every pie. Yeah. Um, it's... Um, well, based... they have, well, they have 20 fingers between them, so... <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of fingers. 20 films. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, carry on. No worries. Um, it's based on Graham Simpsonian's best-selling book with a script by Scott Neustadtler and Michael H. Weber, who did The Spectacular Now and The Fault in Our Stars. And it's a romantic comedy about a scientist who thinks he's put together the formula for the perfect match until he meets someone who turns his whole theory upside down. I mean, from those The Fault in Our Stars Spectacular Now and that premise, it sounds like quite a schmaltzy... Mm. Uh, what's his name? Nicholas Sparks, almost esque yeah. take. Yeah, but those 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 other ones are kind of um, they're, they're intended to be yeah, like weepies. slightly less formulaic yeah. Nicholas Sparks type novels. But um, young weepies. I can't see Jennifer Lawrence signing on for something you know 
which isn't totally rubbish. Totally yeah. rubbish. And Richard Linklater's a cool guy, you know. So that's good. I don't know. Would you reckon the um, secret ingredient to his formula is love? <laughs> Do you reckon that's what it is? Love. Probably. Maybe he's at the CERN laboratory and he's like, I've discovered what the, the Higgs boson. The love particle. <laughs> it's the love particle. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to turn the love particle. He builds a machine and he sees Jennifer Lawrence and she's like buzzing with love particles. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Then it turns into the amber spy class or something. Yeah. It's like a cross between that and weird science. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Well, I the think. I mean, there's a there's a re- there's a real trend right now for um, sloshy young adult uh, fiction being turned into movies, and I guess the time is right for one of those to be good. Yeah. Um, and again, like Richard Linklater, I you know I trust the man. I, yeah, and he d- he's made like studio stuff before, but you know, like he seems he generates his own work all the time. So I can't see him signing on for something unless he saw something in it, you know. He's not going to just, not a director for hire. And he, and he knows where he is with uh, cool kids and their relationships, right? With yeah, like man. School of Rock and... Um, Days Confused. Days Confused, Days Before, exactly. Sunrise, Sunrise, Moonlight, Moonrise. Yeah. Uh, I forget the states of the day. It's, the time, it's time of day after one of those. <laughs> There's before, a French woman and a, and a skinny guy walking around town. <laughs> Some part of the day. You know what I mean. You know what the films are talking about. <laughs> Amazingly laid out pressure, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So that could be good. Could be good. Final bit of news. Who is the cool uh, sex machine cat who attracts all of the studio attention um, when they're thinking about what to remake? I don't know. Shaft? <laughs> Correct, Danny. You're damn right. Correct. I prepared that parody um, long in advance. I'm so glad it came off as well as it did. So Shaft are thinking about... Sorry, Shaft? Shaft, Shaft is thinking about being rebooted. Um, he's sick of... Um, languishing Halloween. with no one with no one playing him yeah he had Samuel Jackson take a go at him back in the day and in the day the day before that it's played by Richard Roundtree and Shaft is champing at the bit to return to cinemas and uh, New Line are taking another crack at it and this time they're thinking of going in a more broadly comedic direction right I, I guess that original classic theme song is probably now regarded as somewhat silly amusing would you say yeah um, and uh, it sounds a little bit like what they did with Starsky and Hutch, where they rebooted that as a as a hilarious, sure, silly, yeah. silly version of the original 70s cop thing. No word about who is playing Shaft, um, but the TV writer-producers Kenya Barris and Alex Barno are the guys who will be doing it. They wrote, they're writing Blackish, right? This sort of NBC comedy. Yeah, not Which, something I know a lot about. I saw the trailer for it, and it was like a sort of hilariously lame comedy which used like a lot of black stereotypes it's the kind of show that key and peel would parody yeah um is it, is it a bit like that tyler perry thing where he's yeah, made a massive a bit. career out of doing stereotypes of um black people yeah basically. yeah i mean i i sort of see like they've seen the success of 21 jump street or something and they're like gonna do that and um shaft and like all those sort of black exploitation movies just seem a bit ridiculous now but because of like the fashion and the music and well the dialogue, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 
I think like those exploitation movies, they like they reflect like social concerns in the seventies, and like it was an it's an important film, and the whole black exploitation movement is like it has a, a whole branch of cinema that was representing black people because the mainstream Hollywood wasn't. Yeah, and so it seems like now when a racial tension seems to be at the highest, like a, like an accurate um, remake of Shaft would actually be a good idea. Yeah, I mean the uh, racial tensions there with the police are particularly high right so yeah. some, something that was like the intersection of law and cool well like, Sean's backstory guy, is yeah. that he used to be a cop and he quit and he became a private detective I'm like I want to see the fucking Spike Lee Shaft you know yeah yeah <laughs> that'd be cool and get um I don't know Chewila Jofa to be Shaft yeah but will you still feel that way Danny when you hear that Kenya Barris and Alex Barno have already previously worked on a script together that they sold to New Line which is about a man who starts to hear Ice Cube's voice in his head <laughs> is that man Ice Cube himself because <laughs> that would be a great movie and he's just like who's that oh it's myself <laughs> yeah it's a very short film and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off so the big movie of the week is, of course, <laughs> the re-release of Strange Ro- Rolling Stones art film performance, which yeah. you went to see, Danny. I went to see it. But, well, basically, there's not really a lot out apart from Inside Out. I think people are running scared of Inside Out. such a beam-off, you know, with universal appeal. I didn't want to see Southport look shit. So Dan Norwood, a free ticket for this re-release of performance. I went. I was like, I'm going to review it. Tell us about performance, Danny. So it is directed by Donald Camel and Nick Rogue, and written by Donald Camel. Nick Rogue is famous for directing Don't Look Now and The Man Who Fell to Earth, and Donald Camel is famous for nothing. You might begin to suspect who was the talent in this uh, partnership. <laughs> and the plot is uh, James Fox plays Chaz, who's an Eastern gangster, for a bloke called Ari Flowers, right? And he's an enforcer, he collects debts and intimidates people. And uh, Harry Flowers has taken over the running of a betting shop owned by Anthony Maddox, who is an old acquaintance of Chaz, and they've got this fractious and possibly sexual like backstory. And Chaz humiliates Maddox, and Maddox, uh, you know, he busts his balls too much, and Maddox tries to kill him, but Chaz manages to kill him instead, so he's on the run from the mob. Sounds like a prequel to Lockstock. <laughs> yeah. And uh, basically, for various reasons, he ends up um, hiding out in the basement apartment of this huge Notting Hill flat owned by Turner, played by Mick Jagger, who's this reclusive rock star and who lives there with his two uh, lovers and his, and his small son. Two lovers? Two lovers. What a rock star life. And, uh, yeah, the film is basically exploration of identity, masculinity, and the dramatic thrust of the film is like, oh, are Chaz and Turner just two sides of the same coin? And uh, that is both the premise and pretty much the plot of the entire film. Mm. It's um, very Are these arty. two guys just two sides of the same coin? Is quite, is a favourite theme of uh, male filmmakers. They it? love it. So it's got a quite interesting backstory. It was like originally conceived as some sort of swinging 60s romp. And Warner Brothers, who put up the cash for it, thought they were getting some sort of Rolling Stones version of A Hard Day's Night. And that's how it like, originally started. And then Donald Camel read all the work of um, Jean-Louis Borges, <laughs> and the whole film became very dark and experimental and all about identity crisis. 
and it was shot in 1968 and then it was screened to the Warner Brothers executives and one of the Warner Brothers executives brought their wife and the wife vomited during the screening. It was so shocking. That's not a good sign, is it? Uh, so it wasn't released until 1970 in a highly edited form where they cut out all the sex, which is all the movie. Um, and now since then it's got been restored and it's got this huge cult following. So when you went to see it, it was in the uncut sex-filled version. Yeah, there's like rumours of there's like an even like sexier cut out there, which wow. had just been lost to the vaults of time. Um, but sadly, that wasn't the one I saw. So it's a very peculiar film. It doesn't really follow any normal dramatic rules or like structure. And uh, I think at the time, it must have been very new and very different and very out there. And I don't think it's like a particularly great piece of cinema, but it's like an interesting cultural artifact. And uh, it's got like um, the basic sort of thing it's about like Chaz is like the man he's like suited he's got a shaved head he's tough and he's like a parody of masculinity and he enters this place where with the very effeminate Mick Jagger with his two lovers and where sexuality is very fl- fluid and you know up and oh, down I'm in the 60s what's going on <laughs> just, yeah. oh, free love oh. and all their personalities clash and merge and are they all just the same person and it's very like the film is just trying to embody the 60s it's very like now this is what it was like to be in 1968, you know, like the whole new ca- culture clashing with the old. And uh, it's just trying to capture something which is a bit abstract, I feel, like just the, the mood of the 60s. I felt a bit like that when I watched Blow Up, which, yeah. which is another arty, I um, think that's a good uh, concept-driven uh, 60s pop film, which I found quite annoying and boring. But, um, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it captured the time, but that was 47 years ago. And so it's a question of does it is it really relevant or yeah. you know does it say anything now? But would Jeremy Corbyn like it? Would Jezza like it? And uh, for me, basically, it's a bit too much of a metaphor writ large. And it basically has this one idea that Chaz and Turner are the same character, and you know, are they just the same person? Are they just both doing a performance mm. to the outside world? And this idea is a little bit just obvious and shallow. But the way it's expressed visually is very interesting. And Nick Rogue, who was the DOP on the film and is like a professional DOP, like worked with David um, Lean and stuff. Yeah. And director of photography, director just in of, case. Yeah. And he's like a brilliant um, technician. And if you know his works or don't look now, like his obsession with like reflections and interesting angles and uh, editing rhythms are all there. And so on a purely superficial uh, level the film's just kind of interesting even though you do like i don't really quite like they're all the same identity some sort of bullshit but it's put together in a way which is like kind of literally visually pleasing you're like ah it's you know it wasn't really it's not really dull to watch mm-hmm. but my, my basic argument like i'm not really sure if it's saying that much or if it's just put together in such a weird way that it's creating the illusion that something's going on but I've, this is the second time i've seen it and I, I can't really write it off as like this is just some sort of arty bullshit but it's not some inner brilliant dissection of what it means to be a person. It's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So it's not a total success. But it's just um, it's just cool that this film exists. British cinema has this reputation of just being... If you look at like the ones that win awards, it's like either people in stately homes or council estates. You know, it's all about realism. And uh, this film is so like crazy and out there. It's kind of cool how it's so British and so un-British in a way because it deals with this kind of almost Victorian idea of like people suppressing who they are and like we're all like these filthy perverts once we take our you know loosen our ties. And it's got this sort of realism to it, but it's so out there and expressing all like these weird subconscious things. So it's an interesting oddity, I would say. It's worth seeing, but I I don't know. It's like inessential 
that's the word, inessential. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end. So Danny... You describe performance as maybe not the best film that captures what it means to be human. But fortunately, <laughs> another film came out this week which perfectly captures what it means to be human. And that film was Inside Out. Yes. It's the latest uh, Pixar movie. Pixar is one of those studios where each film they produce is an, an event. And uh, in recent years, there's been a kind of um, dichotomy between the films that come out that, that are sequels and look a bit more like they're to generate toy sales and aren't as exciting, and then their original concepts, which um, people still get um, very excited for. And this is one of their more out-there ideas. It's directed by Pete Docter, who um, previously directed Up, which is also a very um, interesting concept that turned into a classic weepy um, as well as a beautifully colourful and um, exciting children's adventure. And this is much the same kind of thing. So it's about Riley, who is this 11-year-old girl, regular um, preteen, living in Minnesota, going around playing hockey, hanging out with her parents, and having a great life. And her family moved to San Francisco, um, and this sets some turbulence off amongst the five emotions in her mind. And they are personified, and you go into her brain, and you see them hang around and chat. They are joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. And owing to the troubles in Riley's life, joy and sadness are cast out of her brain's headquarters into the hinterlands of long-term memory, and they have to find their way back before Riley goes totally nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Absolutely bonkers. Unless they get back. Yeah. And yeah, this is incredibly well received. It's got like ninety eight percent ninety yeah, ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone I'd heard who had seen it loved it, told me I was gonna love it, I went to see it, I loved it. <laughs> it is brilliant. It's like a distillation of pretty much everything that is good about Pixar films. It's got a fantastic concept, it's got a real emotional impact, which is that thing you can always rely on Pixar for. The storytelling is incredibly tight and it's very funny. And the visual inventiveness is spectacular and endless. Yeah, it was amazing. I was uh, I just slightly, I just needed to sort of lie down and have a stiff drink over this. It kind of wrecked me. I was I started crying about half an hour before the end, and I just didn't stop. <laughs> yeah, I, just couldn't, I, couldn't I was I was it. I was crying at the end quite freely, and then there were there would be jokes that were quite funny, and then I'd be laughing, but I'd be like, <laughs> Pixar, I haven't finished crying from the previous bit. You can't be making me laugh. And now I just look mad. You know, I've got tears streaming on my face. I'm laughing away. You've just turned me into a just a total mess. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't have any particularly smart to say about this movie apart from it's uh, absolutely brilliant. I loved everything about it. Well, I um, have you managed to think of some points? I ra- rambled <laughs> on and on. There's a lot of things I love about this movie. I sort of feel like I could um, talk about it at length. Um, for example, the key concept of the film—it's got this sort of out there concept, um, which is a real Pete Doctor hallmark. The other. Um, Pixar film that he had the idea for was Monsters, Inc., which is another movie where you hear about it, you're like, what a great idea. And this one, the concept of um, going into a girl's mind and seeing how her emotions deal with the strain of her growing up is a, just a fantastic idea. And it has a few concepts about how the mind works that it sets up in this very neat way at the beginning. So they kind of all hang out in this control room. Her memories are created as kind of giant glowing marbles, which are then shipped off through tubes to be stored somewhere else and her personality is formed by islands which are linked to certain formative memories 
And it, it explains all this in the first, like, 10 minutes or so. And that is all you really need to know to understand everything else in the film. Like, other things are introduced, but that is you're armed with enough to con- to like um grasp every single thing that happens inside her mind and contrast that with something like inception which is another movie set inside someone's mind where they give you like brand new rules that don't seem to have anything to do with the previous rules like every 15 <laughs> minutes and you're never quite sure whether the whole thing holds together or not it doesn't right and it doesn't right <laughs> and there's something kind of uh it's this kind of miraculous um construction this film in the way that every individual part makes sense by itself and serves the whole as well so it's this kind of the the, her inner mind is this fantastical world of adventure which is a great setting for a children's film they do a lot of exciting stuff with it and on the level of look at these fun cartoons running about um it will satisfy you know very young kids who just excited by that kind of thing at the same time it's quite a sophisticated and plausible model of the processes of the human mind, <laughs> which is I find that just like incredible how they managed to achieve. Yeah, and when you, when the stuff that goes on, you're like that makes every time something happens, you're like that makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, and it, and really. it also like also is driving forward the story of Riley's actual physical moving about in the world and the connections between the things that happen in her mind and the things that happen in the world are all very, always very neat and all make sense and you're never like or very rarely do you see the kind of gear shifts where they're like this had to happen in order to drive the story it's like so smoothly done it's really fantastic and sometimes those moments are really unexpected and like really clever I feel like um like all the reviews have been unanimous like some um criticisms that has been leveled the film was that it's in some way indebted to previous pixar films in that the idea of two mismatched characters find their way home is in finding nemo or toy story or whatever and the whole world intricate world's a bit sort of monsters inc mm. and that sort of thing but i think it's more a case of pete doctor sort of really like firing on all cylinders and in the same way that like Fargo is reminiscent of previous Coen Brothers movies and plot points, but it's it's so it's like, more like a, building it's, on their strengths. Yeah, precisely. It's like a summation of their previous work. So it's familiar to his previous stuff, but also I think like his best film, like maybe even Bernard Monsters Inc. I don't know, which is my favorite like film ever. Yeah. Um, well, my 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 sort of initial reaction was like, this is the best. Thing. <laughs> you cannot do better than this. I think we have to give it a bit of time, but it's certainly up there with their best work. There's yeah, no and I think that. it's got like the same emotional impacts of up but people always talk about the first 10 minutes of up mm. and i think that's sort of telling that it's the first 10 minutes and maybe not the rest of the film yeah definitely yeah. but like it's so cleverly into we even it's so like it's so complex and simple in that it's about the emotions so it's so relatable yeah like from the off and uh uh perfectly captured that awkward transition from childhood to adolescence and uh, I felt the same way you do when you like, read a good book. Mm. It's like I was reading Catching the Rye or something, you know, something like that. I remember reading this good quote about storytelling where, like, a good story is, like, where you feel like you're retreading someone else's footsteps. But with that, it's so universal. I felt like the movie is retreading mine. It's like, yeah, you made yeah. a fucking movie about my life, Pixar. Yeah. I was so it's moved. Like it's speaking directly to me. It's, yeah, it's like you made this film directly for me. And it's like, but also you managed to do that for millions of people at the same time. I grew up. <laughs> I went to see your film, and in the process of watching it, I grew up again. Yeah. You gave me two childhoods, Pixar. 
Yeah, I was in bits. I couldn't really handle the last 20 minutes. Like, yeah. I was destroyed by it. I will say, the other thing that I think is fantastic about it is that it has one of the most nuanced emotional messages of any children's film I've seen. Usually the message of a children's film is, like, friendship is important or, like, <laughs> you know, be kind to your parents. or It's something, it's something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's some kind of um, basic uh, truism which is dressed up as an exciting story. But in uh, this movie, there's a very nuanced message about how sadness and joy coexist in a healthy human psyche and how uh, being sad and feeling, um, you know, glum are some well, like healthy reactions that are not dangerous or something to um, be afraid of, yeah. of experiencing. Yeah, completely. And that's like a very cool, it's like a very cool idea. I've never seen that tackled in a children's movie before. And the kind of climax of the, I mean, I don't want to give it away because it's like the way it's done is very um, clever. But the climactic emotional moment of the film is totally unlike, it's like the equivalent of the moment in uh, like Frozen where the sisters reunite and they're like, I love you with sisters and being yeah. sisters great. And in this movie, it's really much more, um, emotionally mixed than that in quite a literal way yeah in the movie yeah so i really liked that um and we yeah we haven't even really talked about how it's really funny and beautiful like, what perfectly cast yeah uh, i laughed all the time some really clever ideas about um or like funny little um notions about uh the the chamber where abstract thought happens and it's just like you know, um, imagination land and stuff like that like pixar movies are like this is like cinema at its best it's like you know often we like come in here and we're like oh it's pretty good i quite enjoyed that but like this one is like i laughed it's like all those sort of like cliched things like i laughed i cried it yeah. made me think yeah, yeah like but this is the film that actually did that yeah i mean film of the year maybe <laughs> i don't know film of the year? it kept every children's movie is trying to capture this you love your family um isn't it wonderful thing like, there was that movie Big Hero 6, which is quite well-reviewed. And in that movie, it's like, your brother's dead. Isn't that sad? Like, that is yeah. the depth of the emotional journey of that film, right? Yeah. And this movie is um, perfects it. Yeah, this movie's yeah. great. Fuck Minions. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> fuck Minnie Baby Bell and fuck Minions. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends who you know where she's at. Right, that's enough now. Back to film chat. And finally, one of the great strengths of Inside Out is its perfect voice cast. Uh, Amy Poehler's Joy was amazing. She pretty much was the same character as Leslie Nope, right? Yeah. You realise that Leslie Nope in Parts of Recreation is the personification of Joy. Yeah. And they just put her in. And um, yeah. Lewis Black as Anger was inspired. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. And uh, Bill Hader with The Great Job of Fear and Mindy Colling was amazing at Discuss. And Phyllis Smith... Uh, yeah, I just, absolutely brilliant. As Sadness. Absolutely brilliant. Now if I see her in a movie, but like, why aren't you playing a little teardrop <laughs> sad thing? Why are you in a, a human being? In a nice uh, sort of cable net <laughs> will and job. Yeah, and so this um, got me thinking. I've challenged Sam and Katie to come up with their own uh, voice cast for the emotions in their brain. Yeah. So, you know, who are you going to be? Your joy, sadness, disgust, fear and anger. Can I, can I say, yeah, I'm, this is my review is bleeding in here, but there's something, there's something really cool about the fact that only one of the emotions is positive. It's like, it's like this children's <laughs> movie where four of the five main characters are <laughs> sadness, fear, disgust and anger. It just sounds awful. 
Well, but they're all great. But they're all great. So, Danny, who you got? So, I've got a lot of. I'll cheat a bit because I've got a lot of choices for each of them. So, for Joy. That's bullshit, Danny. You're going to make us all look lazy, haven't you? Oh, one each. Okay, I'll I'll Well, no, we can pick your favourite and then we'll hear you. Okay, so for Joy, I've gone for Diane Keaton. Mm, Yeah, that's a nice nice choice. Just because she's just like Annie Hall, Diane Keaton. Yeah, Lady Da. (laughs) Lady Da. Lady Da. So, for the Joy. Yeah, it's a good idea. For Sadness. I've gone for John Stewart now because <laughs> he's like just seems very sad, just very tired, very sad. Doesn't really give a shit. Yeah, the lights left his the eyes. Host of the Daily Show. Yes, disgust. It was like a real terror between like who do I hate the most. So it was like Paxman would be good at disgust. Um, but do you want Paxman as one fifth of your mind? And yeah, do I want A.A. Gill in my mind? <laughs> <laughs> just, or like Bradshaw, you know, just Peter, like... Peter Bradshaw. I'm just thinking of like people who are just the like... The sneeriest people. Yeah, the sneeriest... So I think like Bradshaw could be disgust, contempt. Fear, I went for Woody Allen. Because you oh, just yeah. get the nervous voice you could do. Oh my God. And uh, anger, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, the, sh- the shock jock from America. Good choices. I like the fact that you've not limited yourself to actors, and also because you've got, uh, you know, Bill Hader and Amy Poehler have worked together on Saturday Night Live, yeah. and you've got old collaborators in your mind as well. So it's going to be great um, rapport between. Uh, maybe in my mind, joy and fear. Joy and fear are the governing emotions. Maybe, yeah, maybe. subconsciously, that was what I was thinking. Yeah. Shit, man, this movie makes you think. <laughs> makes you think, man. Okay. So, what are your choices? So do you mind? Okay, here's my choice: is Joy, Adam Buxton. Cambocules. Cambocules. He's a kind of beardy child man. He's full of joy. I also yes. thought that he'd actually make quite a good anger because he's got a really hilarious angry voice. But it doesn't yeah. seem as, you know, sure. genuine. So, Joy Adam Buxton. Brilliant choice. Sadness, Samantha Morton. I mean, have you seen Minority Report? <laughs> She's pretty sad in Minority Report. That's a good And in Synecdoche, New York. Also, oh, no, wait, that's um, the other one who looks exactly No, she's in Synecdoche. That is her. Yeah. Yeah, it's really confusing because there's that other actress, oh, Emily, Watson. Emily Watson, who just looks like her, but yeah. Also, she was the voice of um, the computer in her and got replaced by Scarlett Johansson in the last minute. So, so she's, she's probably, probably a keen to do some voice work. You're right, yeah. I just, thought you were just saying that she probably is sad. Yeah, that. and if you get her in the booth, she's like, just remember that time you were fired from uh, that Spike Jones movie, and then bam, yeah. she's sad. So Samantha Morton, my disgust. I have two options. One of them is Lauren Soka or Socha from Misfits. All oh, right, Kelly from Misfits. <laughs> the sort of yeah, yeah. Just because she's always a bit like oh oh yeah. Why has he given us nuts? Why has he given us peanuts? <laughs> yeah. So I thought she'd be quite good as disgust. Yeah. My other option for that was Emily Blunt, mainly based on her performance in The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Um, Chant. Where she's a similar, she's a bit similar to Mindy Kaling in that the disgust is represented by a kind of snooty cool girl. Yeah. Um, fear, Mark Heap. Uh, the um, Statham from Green Wing. Yeah, exactly. Doctor Statham from Green Wing and uh, Brian from Space. Brian from Space. I feel like he's a sort of weird, gangly man who do a good nervous character. Yeah. I was also sort of thinking Kevin Eldon along much the same lines. Um, and anger, Peter Capaldi, basically just oh, being Ma- Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it. Inspired. Inspired. That's that's anger for me. Mystery producer. So I had a nap <laughs> instead of thinking about this. So I've just been thinking about it in the last five minutes. <laughs> better be better be good. Okay. So uh, for disgust, I was going on the same. I didn't. I almost just sort of basically picked the Parks and Rec, rec cast, but then I didn't do that because that would be cheating. Mm-hmm. But Aubrey Plaza for disgust. Oh yeah, that's good. It's good. Uh, for joy, I would have uh, Ellie Kemper basically doing her unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt kind of joy. Because I like oh, that. Okay. That's not just, like, happiness. That's sort of the kind of go-getting, 
kind of thing that Leslie Nope's got as well. Yeah. Um, for what was it? What was the other one? Anger. Anger. Shelley Stedden being a Dimitri, not Dimitri Furious. <laughs> That's the name of a hamster. Like a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> being a Imperator Furiosa, that kind of like inner, furious. inner furiousness is kind of quite quiet. and I see, badass. yeah. Quiet rage. That's yeah. a good way to go. Sadness, I would have Alan Bennett doing his <laughs> voice that he read Winnie the Pooh out when I was a kid. That's a good choice. Yeah. Just do your voice. Just do it, yeah. Uh, and then fear. That's an excellent choice. Who would fear? I quite like a lady. What about I, my other choices were David Hyde Pierce, Niles from um, Frasier. That sounds good, I'll have that. And Daniel Radcliffe, Circa 2005. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like really nervous interviews and he sort of breathed heavily. He's like always like manically laughing. Look up early Radcliffe Ooh, interviews. Get Radcliffe to channel himself 2005. Speaking, speak, Dimitri Martin, maybe, for Southern Night Sadness. Yeah, you're like just good. thinking about Dimitri. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Think yeah, Dimitri Martin. But yeah, David Hyde Pierce is good. I'll have that one. Cool. I also had uh, Mel Gibson for anger, just like when he's calling about the Maccabees script. Where is the script for the Maccabees? <laughs> yeah. What do you think, listeners? Who would play the emotions in your mind? Write and let us know. Yes. Um, tap into your... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In a joy, and let us know. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye!